Oh, yep. This means you're recorded. Continue. Yep. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode number two. Um, this is a very special episode, not just because it's the second one and proves that I can do this more than once, uh, but because this is our first interview episode. This was actually going to be number three or four. But if you're paying attention to the weekly release schedule, I missed last week for a variety of reasons. My mother-in-law was in town. She came into town really last minute, decided Tuesday night she would drive in on Wednesday from Pittsburgh. Uh, and she was there to see her grandsons. She hasn't seen them in several months. Uh, and to babysit while my wife took me out for uh, beers at a local brewery to celebrate the end of my active duty career. So spent Saturday night doing that. Uh, and we, we may get into that here. So who am I talking with today? A dear friend of mine, a former squadron mate from the 320th Big Red family at F.E. Warren Air Force Base. Uh, I think I mentioned this briefly uh, in the first episode. My most formative uh, experience throughout my entire Air Force career. I've had some great assignments and made some fantastic friends, but um, nothing will compare to the F.E. Warren experience with this squadron when it comes to the combination of uh, how tough the job was and how rewarding it was. So I met Lucas Ryder uh, in 2014 when I arrived at FE. And um, now I'm blanking on when and how. And so I'll look to him to explain that. But uh, we're going to talk about a few things and we may ramble here and there. I, I mentioned this in episode one. I, I don't like scripts for this kind of thing. And he and I have talked plenty of times about all sorts of stuff. So I know it'll be an interesting conversation. Hopefully you think the same. And uh, so I'm, I also want him to introduce himself. So without further ado, Lucas, how you doing, man? Hey, Rune, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. And just listening to your, your introduction, I know that this is going to spread like fire. So I love it <laughs> okay. in a good way, uh, especially I'm from Southern California. So that's not a good analogy. But yeah, we're doing great. I actually do not remember the first time that I met you um, at the squadron. So like the memory there, but it just, you PCS Dan, I don't know if I was still in the squad or if I was up in the OSS, but. So do you remember, maybe this will help, but do you remember where you were and maybe you were in the OSS or something and that's why, do you remember where you were during the infamous IAJ incident? Were you in the squadron for that? That's a great one. Because no. that's my first memory. That, that was the first thing I ever did in the squadron Friday I night. I was, I was TDY for a foot job. The day we moved in. Oh, okay. Maybe that's, maybe that's why then you weren't around at first. That was the first, wow, what a difficult and wild obstacle for your first kind of feat in the unit. It's kind of there to go prove yourself, yeah? Yeah, well, I uh, moved into the house. Mag and I moved into the house with the help of... Uh, one other friend we had we had diddied right so for the uninitiated that means i drove the moving truck and towed a car all by myself which was a huge mistake i repeated and now we'll never do that again um unloaded the boxes put everything into the house the house is a mess uh and got a phone call that this thing was going down and I, i'm like I, I guess i'll go in and mag to her credit didn't say much so i took the sub sandwich that we ordered I took it with me and then at nine o'clock at night i'm watching the flight commanders debate whether we're going to relieve everybody or not you know we're jumping ahead so yeah so that was my first day in the squadron but uh let's 
let's back up because one of the things I mentioned this in episode one, talk, talk about a teaser, right? This is this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, one of the things I want to talk about just in this podcast in general and, and more generally, and you and I have talked about this, is telling the story behind why people have joined hmm. the military generally. Uh, I grossly underestimated how difficult uh, transition would be. And I underestimated how tightly my identity would be stuck to the whole Air Force persona in me. Um, and you're one of the people that I think d does really well kind of maintaining, I don't know, extracurricular interest for the lack of a better word. So I think to start, I would love you to talk through how you got into the Air Force. Tell us the story about when you first started, why you joined in the first place, um, and how you found yourself at FE. Oh my gosh, this is exciting. All right, Aaron, here it goes. So I was working for um, a television production company at the time, local news, Channel K2A, Channel 5, Morning News, CW affiliate. And we were producing the Rose Parade. That's one of the things we did. So the Rose Parade there in the beginning of the year in Los Angeles, awesome. And there was a B2 flyover and in their amazing marketing power that, that kind of ignited a previous interest that was I had kind of locked away. I was very interested in going to an academy of high school and then when I started to do the research and I found out the commitment, it was just too much. I didn't own the decision, so I locked it away. Years and years later, uh, probably five years after I graduated, I'm at this, this uh, actually a few years after I graduated, I'm at this, this Rose Parade, get the V2, and I just approached someone um, and said, you know, how do I join the Air Force? So a little over two years later, I went through a commissioning program. Um, but the reason I did it was I had worked with people, very few who in Los Angeles who had military experience. And those individuals had the ears of the senior folks in the companies I was at. One specific one, again, I was working for another show, um, uh, The Amazing Race. And someone on the team has just, they, they traveled with everyone. They were competent. When folks were stressed out, they were always calm and collected. And I just really appreciated it. And selfishly, I wanted to have that for myself. So I said, okay, I, I, need, to, I need to go in the military because I'm gonna come back to Hollywood and I'm just gonna be amazing. Um, and it was, it was such an arrogant perspective, but I really, really, believed it um, and so I decided to join I was working on my college degree so I said I'll go to the Air Force I'll become an officer um, but if I don't get accepted you know I'm gonna enlist so I took some tests and found uh, a recruiter that said you know I'll take you on because I was turned down by about five recruiters one said he was trying to go into OTS um, himself and he wouldn't you know take me on another person said it's an all-time low. They're not taking many people in, so sorry. And I went online, and airforce.com, chat, you know, chat live, and I decided just to shoot for it. And I said, I'm trying to get into an officer program. And I said, oh, here, go to this address, like in Simi Valley. It was like two hours north of me. But so Did I'm, somebody I'm reply to you off airforce.com? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. But it's like, it's, it was brilliant. And My it, mind's already blown. I, I never it, knew that worked. It worked. I am here because of airforce.com, chat okay. function. There it is. Um, and so um, 
once I connected with that recruiter, Tech Sergeant Douglas, I still remember his name. Um, he was fantastic and he helped me along the way and it all worked. So um, the plan was four years in out because again, I want to get back to, to Hollywood um, and back into media. Um, so two years, so I go in and OTS, it was fabulous. It was hard. Um, again, I'm, you know, very little military background, terrible military bearing. Um, but I had a passion to serve and want to just be in the uniform services. It's just something that I, you know, it just, um, always looked so appealing and uh, I had a grandpa who was in for a few years and he was in the air force and it looked like a good thing. So I go with that, but, um, you asked now getting to station. So then when I applied, I applied, you know, a dream sheet and I found the dream sheet later and missile operations was nowhere on the list. I think so. Yeah. Public affairs is number one. It I was, was going to ask you, of course. Okay. Schooling. It's what I had done. I thought it'd be great. And to your point, of course, I didn't get public affairs. Um, I had like security forces as number two. Um, I thought, you know, I'm going to go in, I want to, you know, lead. Um, I think Intel was number three and so and yada, 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 but space and missiles wasn't a thing. So when I, I passed the AFOQT, the package went in, my recruiter calls me back and says, congratulations, you've been selected. Uh, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I get? And he's like, it's called space and missiles. And I'm like, what is that? I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. What is that? That's not even on my list. And he's like, I actually have no idea. <laughs> he's honest with me. He says, That's I have okay. And so that's why again, Tech Sergeant Douglas, thank you so much. Um, he's like, I don't know, but I'm like, I don't care. If I wouldn't have gotten in, I would have just, again, I would have enlisted and I don't even care. I'll, I'll clean bathrooms. I'll do whatever it, whatever it takes. I want to be in the Air Force. So space and missiles, great. OTS, um, back then it was three months long. And I think just before, just after I had passed like our final qualification, I remember my, uh, the flight instructor at the time, he's like, you know, good job, but you know, terrible at following uh, checklist steps and attention to details, good things. He's not going into nuclear weapons. And then my, uh, you know, of course my roommate was also in that flight with me and he says, sir, that's exactly what, you know, OT writer is exactly where you're going. Yep. Um, I think again, it's just, uh, you can learn things and I'm the kind of, I'm just, there's an opportunity there. So somebody thought it would work and it's been good so far. So that's OTS, and then uh, replied, reported to Vandenberg, went through missile training, did it all. That was really cool to be close to home again. I'm from Anaheim, Anaheim, California. I love it, SoCal. So Vandenberg is just a few hours north of us. I did that for about six months, and then PCS to FE Warren Air Force Base. Actually, I'll go back more time. Vandenberg is where I met uh, my beautiful wife. We went to a, uh, I drove down to visit my folks. They invited me to a baseball game. It was the Angels versus the Boston Red Sox. And I met Adrian um, at that game at the beer garden and approached a beautiful table of ladies, which is something I never do. And uh, long story short, I met Adrian. So she was sitting at this table. Oh, totally. With yeah. friends of first or yes. just? Yes. Okay. Yes. I actually approached her best friend. And when I got closer, I realized, ah, oh, it's not, Adrian's actually cuter and spilled a drink. <laughs> you know, introduce myself as Luke. That was the thing back then. I had a you know, terrible pickup line and say, Google me. Um, it was, it was, it's a, it's a, yeah, what was, what was the pickup line in full? Something. The pickup line was Google me, Google me. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I don't okay. use that anymore yet. Oh, I mean, you're married. Gosh. So yeah, ideally you don't need it anymore, but 
You, yeah, uh, it worked. It worked. It Actually, worked that time. And then again, the one only time I ever do that line. Actually, that's incredible. One last time. So yeah. Okay. What was? So let me back up a minute because I. So I'm an ROTC grad, right? And I've worked with OTS grads plenty. But what was OTS like sure. for you? Did you have any idea what you were walking into when you got there? Did the recruiter talk you through it? Did somebody? Did you talk with somebody who had graduated from it? I'm sure the recruiter talked to me a little bit, but I feel like he was honest and just said he didn't go through that program, so he couldn't speak to it officially. I had, he had referred me to, um, we had like a delayed entry program with OTS and one of the OT, one of the um, selects had a, either uncle or grandpa that had graduated, that had graduated from OTS. So I was, he forwarded me his number and I called and got to speak to this um, this gentleman, and it was a very wonderful conversation where he got to give me some expectations, um, knowing that again, it's going to change and it's going to be different than what he knew. But I had a little bit, it was still a, a, a culture shock. I, no amount of preparation that I could have done would have prepared me for the experience. So, does that answer the question too? Yeah, okay, I think so. Uh, Sorry about that. Since we're not, you're not necessarily going to see this um, on audio, I had to walk away awkwardly to try to find something to put my laptop on top of so I could arrange my workspace here a little bit. No, that's fine. And then I awkwardly gave Lucas the sign to just keep on going, which <laughs> never really works when you try to do it. Okay. So, yes, it does answer the question. Um, so, what, so, when you got to Vandenberg, you didn't know what space and missiles was right before you got there. Yeah. Sergeant yeah. Douglas didn't know what space and missiles was nope. uh, in ROTC. I think it was good if the person didn't know, because usually it was either, well, we have no idea what that is, but good luck versus, oh, that community's hell and it's going to be terrible and you should just get out of it as fast as you can. Just try to go space. That was the advice that folks got in my generation, oh, in our generation. Geez, terrible. But so what was, so what did you think when you got there? And especially once you stepped into the simulator and you got an idea for what the job was. Hmm. What was your first impression? Yeah. I said, this is, this is serious work. This is serious work. Um, I had no idea. I did not know what, you know, I thought intercontinental ballistic missiles were a thing of the past, honestly. Um, I just had a, you know, I didn't study military history. I wasn't, you know, I was kind of a fan of things when I was as a child, but I didn't, I didn't know much about current ops and what uh, kind of the assets of uh, the United States. I think of maybe aircraft and tanks and submarines, and probably that's about it. And soldiers. Um, yeah. So when it came to this, you know, idea of or this not idea, the fact of land-based strategic deterrence, um, and these these things are real, and they're, you know they're in this this arsenal um i thought this is this is serious work this is this is this is going to be hard um and i was kind of i was honestly probably afraid if i think about it um just kind of bury those those feelings and just go to work and do the thing and try to survive um i had you know, I, in one of my skills or one of the things I try to do is just always find mentors and people that I can kind of ask for advice. So the idea of, you know, a crew combat, you know, your crew commander, 
I was given someone that was um, thankfully sharp and had been previously uh, or went on to be senior crew, was a successful deputy in the shop too. So it was, I knew that I was in good hands, but um, yeah, it was just kind of a unique, unique space. It's actually really good to think about in the beginning. I, I appreciate that, Arun, because my memories now of that are so much more optimistic and enlightened and um, are happy, but the beginning was more fearful. Yeah, I mean, I literally, the day I reported was a short sprint, if you can remember that. Oh, yeah. When you and got so, to FE, you mean? To FE. Yeah. reported in. So I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm walking to the building and my sponsor comes out and says, you know, hi, Lucas. You need to turn around and just, you know, come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's not a good day. And I'm confused. He's like, you know, basically, long story short, like, you know, we, you know, we failed the test or something. Um, so I turned around and it's just, that was kind of like that initial. So there it is. There's an initial welcome. I come to work and I can't go in because something just happened and it's not a good thing. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that was kind of a, a hello. You know, what's funny, well, not funny. What's interesting about this is the day I reported to Minot, June, 2009, and I was excited to get there. I mean, believe it or not, Minot can be a tough place, but it was done with training, a real air force base, you know, a real mission. I'm doing something. And I called my sponsor. I was in a lodging in a hotel room on base. I called my sponsor. And we were in the middle of an NSI, a nuke surety inspection. And he said, yeah, don't show up the rest of the week. So if, if you got extra travel time, that's fine. You'll get paid for it. If not, you'll sign in. Don't even come into the building. And my whole class got there about the same time. And they said, don't even show up here. Because at, at Minot at the time, what they told us was, which I came to figure out wasn't true, was if you're just walking around, they can pull you at random for an eval or a test. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. That was my first yeah. day at Minot. Hey, look at that. Kindred spirits. Yeah. So that's, yeah. How'd that make you feel? I, I had heard a little bit about the community enough to know. Well, and I'm a, I'm a Cold War history buff. So I knew enough to know the missiles are out there. This is kind of where we came from. The Curtis LeMay sack days, right? You, you went to work scared. You did the job scared. You went home still scared, uh, which we had a lot of that still there. But, you know, there were some people that were proud of that culture. But for the most part, people were just trying not to get fired. So I don't I don't. I don't remember what I thought other than I don't know what to do now because I remember him asking me, well, first off, I got there fast. So from Vandenberg to Minot was four days. And I got there in three because Maggie, my wife, was already there. So I, was, I just wanted to get to Minot. Like I wasn't interested in burning all the per diem, like getting all the travel days. And I just wanted to get there and, and leave Vandenberg because I was by myself at Vandenberg. Um, and so the first thing really my sponsor asked me was, are you're early? I'm like, well, yeah, I, you know, yeah. Um, and it, I, I don't remember how he worded it, but it was basically like, 
you're an idiot because you said no to a fourth travel day and and the per diem and whatever we're paying you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't care that I'm here early? Like, is that not a is that not good? So in my mind, I think I thought, well, I showed up. I must call them since I'm here. Mm-hmm. Come to find out most people would just hide away till the travel time's over or mm-hmm. more likely just take the whole time, which I maybe would have done had I been with my family, but I'm by myself trying to go meet my family. So I'm not yes. going to stick around the California mm-hmm. desert. No offense. I'm going to get up there. Um so actually, that's what I remember. The NSI thing, I don't remember my reaction yeah. to, but it was more like, this is bad that I got here early? I don't understand that. I, I beat my report date by a day and you're pissed or you're annoyed, um, which was kind of a sign of things to come. But, uh, okay, so, well, in a short sprint, we called them Prairie Warriors at Minot, so... Because everything had to have prairie something. Everything was prairie, whatever. So that's, so remind me, because a short sprint wasn't an official inspection. It was a prep event, right? I think, it was I feel practice. Like those are an internal, ran by the OG. Yeah. In my opinion. So it's like an internal, internal, you know. Simulator evals, program. proficiency tests, but somebody, Could but the squadron old. had failed a big test and they whatever were still. The, whatever the flavor was. Yeah, there was some test. Okay. So let me, so what were you, I know I keep going around and around and then back and forth. What were you afraid of at Vandenberg? You said you, you felt some fear at one point about the job. At the missile wing. At the wing. Okay. Yeah, I felt that, that was the wing. At Vandenberg, you know, in the Sims, um, no, no fears. I think slowly kind of realizing what it is, you know, the first is obviously the first, um, you know, uh, modules of the instruction so it talks about the history and what's going on. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is kind of more of a big deal, but it was definitely, you know, more of a, um, it's, it's a training environment, but I remember it just being more, it's still a, a positive, happy place. Okay. And then we, we shifted to EWO. I guess that was kind of where it got a little more intense. Plus the instructor was, uh, you know, tall, demeaning gentleman, uh, was kind of intense. And I had, Chris, I had someone, um, okay. my, my first half at Vandenberg was so motiv- very motivated, very happy, very gregarious instructor, s- humble, great. So that, that defined the, the theme of the first half of my Vandenberg experience. And then we shifted to EO and the other, the gentleman was kind of intense. So he's priming me, I guess, for the, for the wing. Okay. But, intense but, in a, like took it seriously I, intense. Sure, just, yeah. I would say, you know, not funny. Okay. Yeah. Um, or, you know, emotional intelligence, I'm sure is high, but would be less of just like, hi, how are you? How's your day? Just instead of we have a schedule, we need to get to business. This is what it's going to be. I don't want to know, you know, any personal conversations, focus, study, study, study. You need to, you know, be ready for this exam. You need to know your EWO and that's important. Um, but my personality, you know, ENFJ, I've just talked about all these different styles of personality traits. I'm the kind of person who would like to talk casually for a few minutes, you know, before we get to business. Yeah. A little bit of warm up. It sounds like a born teacher. So not particularly interested you. maybe in. Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, no, the, the fear, the fear wasn't there. So then, okay. So then what was your experience at the wing, especially early on? Yeah. Just get to work, learn the job, know it well, 
I had a DO I thought was a very extremely uh, courageous leader, um, dynamic, um, set the tone of environment where other you know other people you can go. Oh, they may they're not they're not uh, they're kind of more intense or I don't know if I can be you know completely open with them. This this DO was was great. Um, so that was that was nice. Kind of started, I think, to really lay down the idea of a family and also professionalism. It wasn't always about work. We would have days where he would review a six-part folder and talk about why this is an important thing. Talk about you know OPRs. And again, it is the Air Force system. However, teaching you early on how to navigate and to understand what the system values um, was tremendous. To be that learning that as a second lieutenant. Okay. Um, okay. So one of the things, so one of the key reasons why I wanted to talk to you was by the time I met you, which I've, I've been thinking here on and off, I still can't remember, but if you were at a foot shot, when I arrived, that would make sense that we wouldn't have met for a little while. Um, you, I think still pursued stuff outside of work, or at least I thought you did. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, well, I'm curious how long had you been doing stuff like working outside projects? Had you been doing that the whole time? Had you been working on stuff since Vandenberg? Like, what is it that allowed you to keep things going outside of work? Either other projects or other things that you were interested in. And I'm, I'm interested just from a personal curiosity, even though my time is ending, uh, my active duty time is ending this is one of the things that I failed at the most. Hmm. And so when it comes to my transition, I think it's impossible to know for sure, but it became, and I realized it at the end of 2020, it became so difficult for me to imagine who I would be without the Air Force missileer piece, particularly with the kinds of things I got to do in missiles. Right, I got involved in so many things. It was really difficult to separate myself from that experience um, and imagine myself as anything else but that. And I knew I would have to get to that point, but I didn't maintain much outside of work, whether I let that on or not, right? I, I really didn't have much going on outside of work. So yeah, how, how did you do that? What kinds of things did you do outside of work to keep up your interests? Um, proficiency, which is not probably not the best word, right? But I think you were still working in film and video. You were still working and you were still doing things outside of work, right? So yeah, talk us through that. Jeez. So I came into active duty with a tidal wave of all of my previous work experience, extracurricular activities, hobbies, those, you know, so those three just they were firing on all cylinders and literally, not literally, about 45 days before I reported to OTS, I hugged Oprah Winfrey just to like show that because I worked as a production assistant on one of her shows. So I was just <laughs> okay. at this level and I remember, yeah. and I would tell people, I'm like, I had people at work saying, why are you joining the Air Force? You have such a budding career. What are you doing? You're going to ruin it. You're going to kill it. It's stupid. Why are you going to the Air Force? And then to have that building, I'm like, I'm going to come back or whatever. I need to do this. Oh, you, 
to hugging Oprah to then showing up to OTS. So it's just going boom, 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 boom. Wow. So now all of the energy, everything slowed down, right? So I didn't nurture much because I, I, I left, I left the, my magician friends. I left my volunteer group with Youth Leadership America. I left my television friends because they're all in LA. Right, and now I'm in the middle of the United States, up in Wyoming. Well, not in the middle, but I'm up in the up, up on the, yeah. the the bluff there. Yeah. And so, it just, I really survived and just maintained and just rode that wave until it came into the beach and onto the shore. Um, a few years into it, I met another missileer who had heard that I was into film. Who had said, "Hey, I'm into it. I did this at the academy. I studied English." I'm working on some uh, scripts. Do you want to collaborate? And that kind of helped kind of um, bring it at least close. Because my friends in LA were like, come TDY, come out here. But frankly, I was too afraid to go TDY and work on projects with them, who are all now huge on YouTube and huge in their endeavors. And I, and I, I think to myself, gosh, what I would have done if I uh, would have gone TDY more. Who knows? But I don't know. So that's, that's another point. But it's... I didn't do much until a few years in, um, which is which is kind of a bummer. But I always knew the importance to maintain my hobbies and to hold on to those because if I didn't, I feel that I would have gotten not swallowed up, or I just I wouldn't be. I kind of lose a sense of self. I had a lot of mentors who were like, when I would play the guitar, ah, oh, Lucas, don't stop practicing. You're so great. Don't be like me and stop. Um, don't lose your hobby with magic. You know, it's, it's, it's so important. Um, and I've, I've, I, I learned that lesson. Um, it's kind of why now that we're picking this back up and I'm doing other projects, trying to get them going. But I just knew you have to hold on to it because you're just going to keep working, working, working. Um, so if that makes sense and if that helps kind of point that. Working on the, the, the film project I did, we had a Kickstarter, we hit our goal, it was awesome to have the ops group, we had a huge support group of folks who donated to our cause and we raised $10,000. Um, and then we shot it after code change, the, like code change, I got back at night, the next morning I hit the road and I drove down to Miami, New Mexico to go, um, go film and work on a project that was being led by uh, uh, another missileer. Um, but to your point, to say that you did the, the leap, you know, you were terrible at um, maintaining a self outside of the Air Force and committing it all in. I don't know, I just, uh, I feel like that is my biggest strength is being like this Renaissance style, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. I've always been that way. And I've noticed that I've had the most success when I was doing things like that. I just am fed off of it. It really fills my spirit. And uh, I just tried to nurture that, but it's it really actually quite atrophied quite a bit. So I'm not involved with YLA anymore, uh, even though I'd like to. Um, friends have moved on or are still plugged in, but doing other things. And it just kind of dipped. I don't know. It's like a new chapter, I guess, but it won't always be this way. I'm getting back into it. Okay, true. Do you, f so either, either at Warren or now, well, yeah, at any point in your active duty time, you can talk to, do you, do you understand who you are without the Air Force? Who are you without the Air Force? Right. I think husband, son, 
That's good. I think that is, I struggle with, I've always, now that I'm an adult and uh, more of a, you know, a, an experienced adult, that road to really solve who I am, I feel is a, it's a constant path, so to speak. Um, you know, who I was at 18 is different than who I was at 25, is different than who I am at 34. Um, that's, that is how I look at it. If I try to label it with like, I am a insurance salesman, or I am a, you know, I am a CEO, or I am an entrepreneur. I don't, it just, it's limiting, I feel personally, because I don't know, I always feel there's always more. There's always more. So do I say I'm a military officer? Sure. But I don't, I don't know. I'm, I guess really, I, don't, I would say I don't quite know who I am or am, but that's, I'm comfortable with that. Um, you know, it evolves, but I take care of my, my home. I take care of my peers and I take care of, I try to take care of the brown, the people around me and have fun while doing it, but I can't like label that. If that makes sense. It's weird. That's, that's deep. Maybe I could talk that through with a, with a therapist and, and come to a more of a, a poignant discussion. Um, well, so the, the point, so as I was thinking through transition last year, um, that's the question that I haven't been able to answer. So last year, <clears throat> 2020 into this year, notwithstanding all the, all the challenge that was 2020 for everyone, um, I was really thinking about what life was going to look like. I hadn't applied to, I was starting to apply to jobs, but it was still kind of early trying to figure out what skills I had, you know, when, when people ask you what you did in the air force. Right. And then you say, and I've learned how to give an answer that might apply to more people. Right. So ICBMs, no one knows what that is. Just like you said, right. Most people, if they read about it in a book, assume that they no longer exist. Um, so I say, I do nuclear weapons and I get a, oh, cool, cool. And that's it. So I think it just was the last question I got to that I've yet to answer because I can kind of talk myself through things I know how to do or things I've done in the past. Certainly I've written several iterations of a resume that I've sent to places. Um, but I really came to realize I had no idea who I was because I hadn't really defined myself as anything but Air Force Missileer, which is not to say you have to come up with an answer, right? But I'm, but I'm just, yeah, well, I'm just curious. Yeah. Why? It's so, so many, yeah, go sorry. Well, no, so go, I, go ahead. the opportunities that came up with your friends in LA, you said that they were, you had folks trying to convince you to go back, like take time off or go TY, go yeah. back to LA, go back to SoCal and work on projects. Why didn't you? Yeah. Oh. I, I felt there was this unfinished business with work. Um, that if I was leaving, I was pulling, I guess, away from the, of this, um, 
you know, what the wing needed me to do. As, as, as weird as that is, um, it went by in the blink of an eye. And then I got busy with, right, you know, there's a breakup. I have a breakup and I'm quiet. I'm hanging out, you know, I want to spend time somewhere else or I'm like, I'm not interested in travel. Um, I don't know, it was just a few years where I felt it was just this whirlwind of work, upgrade. You want to be better than your, you want to be more, look, appear, you want to be comp more competitive than your peers. Taking time off could yeah. be construed as less of a commitment. Right. Um, I never had leadership tell me that. Never. But okay. I think that that was a perception. At least I had it. Uh, maybe it's self-inflicted or nevertheless, but it's, you know, I got to the shop as a deputy, which was the, you know, that first milestone that you hit. Right. Um, and then, a, you know, and then I'm a crew commander on Coach Henge. So, so before that, but leading up, so, you know, a few years in, a couple of years in, I'm like, I'm not getting fed. I need to, I need to do more. And that's where the, the film Miami, New Mexico came into the, the picture, uh, working with the missileers. So, um, but yeah, again, it kind of boils back down to the fear and the perception of leaving the wing, which is so silly. And I wish I would have had someone tell me you're, you're, you're ridiculous, go back and continue to maintain. But that you person that you that the, the Air Force for, first accepted. That's that's who the Air Force brought in. Welcome that's true. In. That is who the Air Force picked. I mean, I wish I should have it here. I had an interview as part of my OTS package and I it was, you know, firewall five. I was able to see it afterwards. And it was just the, the lieutenant at LA Air Force Base who interviewed me. Though, you know, it was like, you know, uh, you know, has this, these jobs, all these hobbies, these great exact, I don't know, you know, whether or not that's what's right, but it was so cool to see that. Um, and that's what the Air Force processed in. So, and I personally let it kind of dwindle down a little bit. How old were you when you came in? It's 24. My 24th birthday was actually on the road to Maxwell, Alabama. Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery. Yeah, Alabama. that's a heck of a way to spend a birthday. So you were, you were driving? Like you spent your birthday on yeah. I-10 somewhere in the yep. middle of? Yeah. Okay, yep. yeah. It was awesome. It was a good road, a good uh, best friend growing up went on the road trip with me and we stopped off in various places. Um, it was a good time. So how long were you working in the industry before? About three, a little over three years. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. So this is a, this is a part that I haven't asked much about. So uh, you, I'm just trying to picture how did you go where what did you start doing so i'm trying to i guess i'm going to dig back farther a little bit if if you'll allow me because hugging oprah 45 days out from ots is a significant <laughs> moment um that i've never heard before but i, I guess i always picture I, I knew you came in i mean older maybe a couple of years older than a college grad i came in at 23 but with really no professional experience right just random jobs in college um yeah but that seems like you you had a lot of experience in a short period of time or is that not a fair way to put it no i think it is a fair way i graduated high school you know i was 17 my birthday's in october so i graduated in um you know june may or june and 17 and right away kind of went into to work for whatever reason i didn't apply anywhere out of high school which was silly um ap classes not all AP, but great, you know, three point above a three point five GPA. I should have applied to school. 
um, but I started working and um, the first bit was life insurance, random. Really? Um, yeah, first was life insurance, an amazing um, professional contact got me, uh, the guy whom I, I still respect, it's amazing, kind of said, hey, let's, let's, let's do this. So I got my life insurance license and started working on a securities license. It was about six months and said, okay, this is for me. Um, and I stopped that and I left that to go work for Best Buy and I got a job in home theater. The best friend who I drove with to Alabama helped me get the job at Best Buy. Um, so there was kind of so two sales jobs. Um, this one was non-commissioned, which was the, the break that I wanted. All this time I'm going to community college, Fullerton College in Southern California, amazing experience there. Just general studies, the plan was to do the, then called the IGITC, which is to transfer to a UC. Um, but, you know, I'm working, I'm taking less focus on classes, grades are starting to dip. At Best Buy, I end up, uh, a classmate of mine from Fullerton, actually, and I was taking a class at another community college, Santiago, he referred someone who needed a plasma TV. This person happened to work at a television station. Um, I sold him the TV and then realized that I'm like, wow, this could be my end to work in, um, to work in the television business. Um, so I contacted him and asked what's the best way to do this. And he said an internship. So he kind of pre-interviewed me, ended up setting up an interview with me with HR. Uh, and I wore a three piece suit, had my interview in the morning. And during the interview, um, the lovely HR manager walked me back to introduce me to the entertainment producer of the morning news show. And I was hired then, um, hired as an intern working for free, did that for a few months working with Best Buy. Um, I then quit Best Buy and decided to go full-time intern knowing that if I just hustled, I could potentially get hired community college student. I'm competing with against interns from university of Southern California, Annenberg school of communications, UCLA grads. Yeah. The big names and the, yeah, big names. And here I am at a humble, small community college doing general university transfer studies. So, um, I'm proud. I was hired and beat some folks out, which was awesome and so exciting. I had so much fun working. Um, for this team, um, Sam Rubin is our producer. He's still, or he's he's still the the entertainment reporter. Long time name there. Amazing, Michaela Pereira. She's now with CNN. Just first experience of family at KTLA. They, uh, I was able to do magic tricks behind the scenes for folks. They loved it. You know, I had time on air working uh, different bits. It was just, it was a dream. It was a dream job. KTLA ended up, it's owned by Tribune Broadcasting, major newspapers back in the late, the first decade of 2000s, files for bankruptcy. I don't quote me, but huge loss in business of papers because of the rise of the internet. Um, yeah. Not capturing, oh, yeah. not capturing web sales and how do you do this internet thing with our, with our current business model. Um, lots of layoffs. A reporter says my, my wife, you know, works for uh, another company. Um, I end up getting hired to go uh, do a thing with the Amazing Race on CBS. Um, I never watched the show, uh, but uh, I do. I do like a week of their casting rounds in Santa Monica. Uh, it was awesome, and uh, we're on CBS's lot in uh, Burbank. And the uh, casting manager pulls me aside and says, "Hey, you've been doing really well like the past couple of weeks. Do you want to work with us full time?" 
Uh, I said, sure, I'd, I would love to, thank you. And she, I'm still friends with her to this day. So kind of the, this connections, um, influential people taking me under their wing, looking at me and saying, hey, you've got something special that uh, I value and our company values and you're gonna make things better. So, you know, come work with us. By name, you know, I've heard by name requests in the Air Force. It's so, and it's like this, this thing. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's like, I was a product of BNRs in my early twenties. Um, in the civilian sector with all these jobs. And so it's funny that uh, I'm like, wait, wait, is a BNR not a thing? I think you, you, um, you know, argue, I guess, ethics and how BNRs work versus just having, um, you know, resumes and casting it wide. But um, it was, it was exciting. And so did the amazing race for four seasons. And, uh, and then my manager knew that I was going to join the Air Force. It took two years. So I was totally open the whole time. I'm traveling around the world with that and, um, uh, you know, in a pool on an island off of South Vietnam called Phu Quoc, sitting there saying, I'm joining the Air Force. I'm going to join the Air Force as I'm uh, living this, this awesome time um, at our, uh, this then called Elimination Station, which is uh, for folks who got kicked off the race. They have to go there. We got this web show. Um, and and then just did some real small jobs leading up to the bit of joining. And then that led me to this, uh, your, it's called, it was called your own show on the own network, which was Oprah's yep. um, break off onto her own network. Okay. Um, and I don't know how many seasons they went, but it was the, I believe it was the first season. You know, awesome talent, awesome cast, really cool. And then, um, and then I went in and 10 years ago, that was, you know, 10 years ago. So how did you end up hugging Oprah? I feel like I, <laughs> if I if I don't ask that question, the folks who are know, listening me, are gonna let me read this up. I feel scream at me. Pre COVID nineteen, so social distancing wasn't a thing. Yeah, people hug and handshake back in the day. Yeah, yeah. that's great. The maybe I'm gonna think filming final episode. It was a competition. Find out, you know, the two competitors going. There's a reveal. There's the winner cut the show's done and oprah was just thanking the production team in person there saying thank you um and somehow i was close by and i got a hug professional hug it was great but it was uh, it was momentous just moments like that gosh there's and the air force has been folding too but those are really sweet those are really sweet so I just thought, I remember thinking, wow, I've, I've made it. <laughs> it's not like, yeah, well, yeah, I, don't have a major, I don't have a major salary. You know, I'm not a homeowner. I'm not married. But I remember just thinking being in my early 20s, 23, and I'm thinking, um, I made it, but it's okay. I don't need this. I, I want to go on to something else. And it's this, this, this frontier, this unknown of the Air Force, where many majority said, don't do it. A minority said, do it. I knew in my heart that it was meant to be, and I wanted to run off and do it. And it was just, it's awesome. It's no regrets. Um, it, so it was just, it was cool. Yeah, I swear. I wish there was a photograph. Of you hugging Oprah? That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I believe it. No, I know. I used to be, I used to collect those pictures, right? It was like, oh, I get pictures of celebrities. Oh. And at that point, no, I don't get that stuff anymore. So what, right. um, I know we're coming up on that 45 minute time too, but I have to, so you're talking about being off the coast of South Vietnam 
in a in a pool you said on a tropical island absolutely living the life yeah so what are so you you said it a bit earlier everybody in the industry everybody you were working around said don't do it mm-hmm. don't join don't go mm-hmm. why not just because you i sorry why not well well what was there what was the argument why not join and what did you tell them what was that art what was that conversation like I wasn't mature enough to really have a deep conversation with them to ask, why are you saying this? I think some said, there's one peer, a buddy of mine, his voice stands out and I stayed in touch with him kind of throughout. We've kind of lost, we have lost touch um, a few years ago, but it was just, you know, I want to think maybe it's an older, it's a big, it's a big organization. We are, we're literally writing the textbook on social media. And this is in uh, 2010, 2009. Yeah. We're writing the textbook on, you know, Vine was not a thing. YouTube had been, I think, started in 2006. So it'd been around for a few years, but it did not have any of the momentum or steam that it has now and where it's going to continue to go. He's like, we're writing the textbook on this. Why are you going to the, you know, the military when you can ride this, this wave, this, and, um, I know I use this wave example, but that's just what I want to speak to. It's like, so that was a fair, that's a fair point. I said, I just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not prepared to, to leave this yet. It's, I would say, you know, there's more good days than bad days. I'm still fulfilled or I'm trying to start, I'm starting to start a family. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I don't know. So I would come back and say a lot of people um, in that business, unless you're, you know, they would, they were not, not all of them are homeowners or they're struggling to buy a home and living in apartments or renting um, and didn't have, you know, a bunch of hobbies or extra things, if that makes sense. I thought I could have a very comfortable life with this still. And I'm still having a good time and, you know, work is work and it's a grind, but I'm still finding a lot of time to enjoy. I'm finding more time to have, you know, maintain my happiness and do my personal hobbies on the side where I don't know if I could do that, uh, in Hollywood. I never gave it the chance. I never gave it the chance, but I've had a, it's been, it's been comfortable. It's been good. And yeah, I didn't go to weapons school which I felt I knew would be, be a lifestyle intensity. If, you know, correct me if I'm wrong or, you know, counter, counter, you know, counter with that, but I thought maybe this would be too much. I still, I would lose myself if I went to weapons school. Uh, yeah, it's definitely there not meant for everyone, but it's, it, it, it's what keep, well, keep going. Yeah, I can, okay. I'll, I'll respond, okay. but keep going. But yeah. no, no, I, I knew just seeing that and even there were certain paths that I just, I found this a way that I could be comfortable inside the air force, um, and still maintain that something that I'm struggling with now is how do I keep that going? What is that balance look like of, you know, our core values service before self. I mean, I don't even, you know, it's, 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 it's big, it's a struggle. Um, I think if I gave, 
the military all the time it deserves, I would just be destroyed. Um, it's not sustainable. So, oh my gosh, I'm going off on a tangent. I've totally lost my point right. Well, okay, but wait a minute. But I want to, I don't know what I just bumped into. Um, no, but I want to pull that thread. What do you use? If you gave the military all the time it deserves, what would happen if you gave, how do you, what in your mind is all the time it deserves? What does it deserve that you're not giving it now or didn't give it in your first assignment? Constantly developing training scenarios and scripts, um, you know, putting everyone's birth date in the squadron in my calendar, having squadron days and get togethers, going TDY and developing plans and, you know, policy with strategic policy to, to make milestones for objectives they want to achieve with the unit. I don't know. And that's my personality wants to do it by myself. And that's, that's impossible. And that's why we do it as, as a whole unit, but um, I got dug myself into a hole that I'm trying to get out. The, <laughs> So I'm not trying the to units require, I mean, they, they require, they deserve so much. I mean, and I, I hark back to three 20th days of just the, how do you give everything the time it deserves? Well, and what, what does it deserve? And you said before to give the air force the time it deserves. And now you're talking about the unit, which I, it's taken me a while to understand that when I was at work, when I was in the 320th, right? So back to the back to the time that we shared in the same squadron. I I picture the people, but I'm not like I'm not really there for the institute. The Air Force doesn't doesn't care at all right. where I am, right? So what is it? It's the people that it deserves. It's the people, sure. But what what do you owe? What do you feel like you owe? What is it that the unit deserves that you? I mean, I look back at my my fails, my failures of um, coaching and working through goals of folks in my flight where I could have helped them. Developing, you know, productive, really effective in two days that are working through equal opportunity, suicide prevention, preaching, you know, the necessity to exercise mental health, like you exercise your physical body. I don't know those things that I think that require, that's what the Air Force deserves. So what would you not do? Or what would you not have done? Because I feel as though if you had spent more time well, I feel as though if I had spent more time with individuals having those conversations, which I agree with you are important and what our folks deserved, and I didn't spend nearly enough time talking about mental health. I, I talk about that almost exclusively now with students, or I did, because um, that's frankly what I've been struggling with the most now that I'm on the way out. But I'm, I'm not convinced. I think all of those answers are fair, but I'm not convinced you could have just added that on without sacrificing your own mental health. So what would you not have done? Like I, I spent a lot of time thinking about what I shouldn't have done instead. 
What yeah, would you have like, spent less time on? I think I spent a lot of time on the people and not enough time on being proficient with the weapon system like I could have been. But I feel that the leadership knew that and they, they balanced the flight and they balanced the team accordingly. Um, but So that's just, yeah, there's, that's, that's the struggle as I go further into my military career of having the balance of the people and mission while not sacrificing myself. So if, so if you focused on people yeah. over technical proficiency, I would say you did it right, right? Do you regret that? Partially because I feel I still feel inferior with weapon system proficiency. I mean, although it's, it's it's that is my weakness is the weapon system. It's always has been. Again, back to my OTS comment, you know, earlier in this this show, where I <laughs> in the flight at the end, the capstone yeah. leadership lesson, he says, right. "Good thing he's not going into ICBMs," um, and here I am. Just so happens, right? So it's you know, but um, I tried my best again with the people and uh but or to maybe what i could have done better was to have those frank conversations better like hey arun i'm not i think i i need to focus more on training continue to, to help me improve this um, but again going forward that's just that's a fear as i as i become um, as i move through the levels of, of, of leadership in this career, it's a fear of being able to balance the both, both of them. I'm trying to have those thoughts now so I can be prepared when it's game day. So that you can stay balanced going forward? Yeah. As you keep on promoting, staying in longer, talking mm -hmm. like more responsibility, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. I, yeah. No, I go ahead. I got peak. I, I, where I'm at right now is again, this is the dream. I've, so to speak, I've hugged Oprah again. <laughs> It's been where I am right now is incredible, and it's um, it's all bonus time. So, okay. So, just as a real quick review, because we we spent a lot of time talking about the Fe Warren days. So, what did you do after Fe Warren? Yep. And then, correct me if I'm wrong. You went from that assignment to this one, right? So, just walk That's us through. Yeah, yeah. The last couple of years. The last few years, got it. Yeah. So, yeah, in the. December 2016, I received a letter that I was accepted into a program, an exchange program with the US Navy uh, to work with their submarines. And so in the summer of 2017, I PCS to Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam, Hawaii to work for Commander Submarine Forces Pacific Fleet. And uh, I worked there on the staff. Controls the Pacific-based um, submarine units and uh, the staff specifically with the SSBN, which is the uh, the boomer, the large submarine, the, the the bigger one. And that was amazing. That was three years in Hawaii, which was a lottery for uh, a Prairie Defender, a sub subterranean institution of deterrence. 
Yeah, it was a and it was amazing. It was I had been we had been married got married in April and I PCS in May, and so we were on a perpetual three year honeymoon, living on the island of Oahu. Um, but that staff job was fantastic to get operator perspective outside of the U.S. Air Force and to see how um, portion of the Navy does it. You know, there's I think you know there's three at least aviators, submariners, and and surface folk. Yep. Um, Primarily, at least with a lot of the operations, and to see how submariners think was um, was a real special opportunity. And they treated me extremely well. I'm a submarine wannabe. And um, you went underway too, didn't you? Did you spend time? I spent some time, yeah. I spent, at sea. Yes, I did. Weeks, weeks, and weeks. It's actually it's it's like in the it's about 44 days. Not about okay. it's 44 days. Um, which gave me perspective to appreciate and love sleeping in a launch control center. I will never complain about that again. Uh, it is it is harder to sleep underway in a submarine. Um, yeah, once I was away for a few weeks, uh, so no cell phone, no internet. It was wild to be disconnected from Adrian and everything for that long. I had never experienced that. Um, in my adult life, you know, I've been connected most of high since high school. So to not have any of that and just be um, away from it all was was a surreal experience. Um, to go from writing the textbook on social media to that, right? Yeah, to just <clears throat> so far away. And so that yeah. was three years. And then from Hawaii uh, in 2020, we PCSed a tier to Offutt Air Force Base. Bellevue, Nebraska, but it's it's Omaha, Nebraska, uh, and I'm working for a uh, combatant command. It's the United States Strategic Command, and it is kind of another dream and wild to be working here at this uh, the level of of our business here on the staff, and I'm really happy for the opportunity and. To see what I learned. So I've been here for nine months, but I feel like it's just fresh because of the spin up of understanding how our systems work and how policy is and learning all of that. And I'm still learning that. So we're here for uh, for the foreseeable future until until something's next. But we came here to, to hopefully have start a family and uh, to, to slow down, so to speak, with uh, a staff, a staff job out here. Hawaii was busier than we thought it was. I wasn't even operational but I was going underway. It was busy, lots of TDYs, long TDY, long flights from Hawaii. So it a lot was of travel busy. back. Yeah. yeah, a lot of travel. It was a busy job. Yeah, I went to went to Guam, went to Seattle, went to San Diego, went to Omaha, went to um, other states. So it was went underway. It was busy. And then project wise, what do you have coming up? Yeah, project wise, I am doing my best to launch a website called Papaya, and it's a video production company that we have uh, soft started last year in Hawaii and did a few projects to kind of feel out with the community, but it's just telling stories of businesses. Okay. Um, and it's a way to, to basically do it internally here. Um, and it's my way of not having to travel back to Hollywood to, to get it started. So we do it all in house and it's Adrian is is the best writer and she is the best music selection producer um, but i'm the editor and the videographer and once i get a second camera she'll also be operating another camera um, 
consumers are trying to tell that story. And I think it's going to be a great way to connect with the community and also connect with the Air Force. I realize that us moving around as service members, we go to, amaz to so many places and we need to capture that and uh, figure out an effective way of capturing and telling stories to document history of the base. So I'm trying to like, catch up. Yeah, I think that would be awesome. I mean, the telling the story of local businesses would be awesome on its own. But I mean, the, the, the people we work around have some pretty special stories. You. Yours among many people, right? So to give folks a chance to tell that story, I, I think would do really well for folks that are coming in that want to understand there's a whole lot more to this experience than simply, well, going back and forth to the squadron every day and focusing on the things that the Air Force tells us to focus on. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't know. So I, I think, <clears throat> well, I'm definitely happy that you're working on this project. Uh, you know, we've talked before about once COVID lets up and we're all vaccinated and things are calmed down. Um, my business is, is just like an inch and a half off the ground, but I would um, hire you guys in a heartbeat and would certainly love to see you both in person in the near future. But in terms of getting connected to your local like to Omaha and the area around you. I'm sure that's a great way to do it. Tons of budding business, you know, growing businesses around here, market cap, and it's unique everywhere. Hawaii was full of them. I miss Cheyenne, Wyoming had a ton. There was a lot in Cheyenne. People complained about it, but there was a lot going on in Cheyenne. There was, yes. It was a great place. It was a great place. And there's, you know, it was TDY to Great Falls for a few months. And I, I'm not wearing the watch right now, but I bought a, a watch to or a watch store, which is now actually recently closed, which is sad to see. In Great Falls. Yeah. In Great Falls. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let me let me ask you this. This will be my last question. We've already gone for an hour, and I won't let you get you back to your evening. Uh, if you've if you had one thing you could say to someone who was considering joining the Air Force. I guess I lied, two questions. Uh, 22, 23, 24 years old, or, or maybe the 17, 18 year old thinking about enlisting, going to BMT. You've got someone in front of you who's thinking about joining the Air Force. They're not really sure. Maybe they're leaving behind a civilian opportunity. What do you tell them? Do it. I tell you to do it. I'm gonna ask them, why are they doing it? I'd like to know their story and find out what are their reasons. You know, some folks have said to literally put shoes on their feet. For me, it was a selfish piece so I could become, you know, gain something that a lot of people had that I noticed in the industry go back and be really awesome. I just, I want them to tell them to have a plan, their plan in the military and think about what they would do afterwards. The uniform is on loan and treat it as a temporary thing. Have the best intentions for what you want to do, but just know that that uniform is on loan and it's not yours, but still own it and stay in touch with all the contacts that you had when you left and nurture them and take the time to go 
to go and nurture those relationships. It's incredible now with, with um, web conferencing, but nurture those because those people and entities that supported you to get into the military, you know, they were partially the reason why you're in it and you've got to stay plugged in. Because to your point, it can be really dangerous if you, um, if you lose sight of that and just kind of go all in. I think you can get, it can be painful and it's time to transition. Yeah. The uniforms on loan. I like that. I've never heard anybody put it that way before. Uh, and then the second question, what would you tell 23 year old Lucas knowing everything you know now? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. The most important camera is the camera that you have and to just act ideas in your head do are of no value if you're not if you're not putting them into motion and i would tell 24 year old lucas to face your fears head on and not to run away from things i wish i would have learned that sooner I have nothing else I can say that would end it appropriately. Um, Lucas Ryder, dude, you've been a friend of mine for a while. At least I consider you a good friend. Um, and uh, I'm, I will always be grateful that we met, that we met Adrian. I'm grateful that you walked up to her and said, Google me. And somehow that worked out, which is a plus for every one of us. Uh, and certainly I know a plus for you. Um, my wife, Maggie, loves you both. Uh, I love you both. And um, I'm really I'm grateful and honored that you came on for my first interview and uh, for episode two. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Thanks a lot, dude. We'll talk soon. All right. Um, so I would say Lucas has left the building, but really he just left the Zoom room, right? Because we still don't get to hang out in person. So I just wanted to take a couple minutes uh, in this outro of sorts uh, and, and thank Lucas again for joining me. You know, th this is a brand new show, this is a brand new podcast. This We are two episodes in now, and um, he certainly has a lot going on in his life. We all have a lot going on in our lives. He's a military professional, still serving on active duty, for which I am grateful uh, for that, certainly, but also for his friendship and his um support and willingness to talk and so to come on the podcast to come on episode two right regardless of the audience regardless of the um how it's going to land right and just have an honest conversation about really why he joined the air force what it is that took him into the air force and selfishly for me to talk to him about you know how he tried to maintain a sense of hidden his self outside of his military persona um, I think is an important conversation to have. So, it, you know, and I, uh, I don't think I talked about this in episode one. And certainly as the list gets longer, it becomes that much more difficult to talk about. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but as someone who's transitioning off active duty, the, one of the things that I did not expect was uh, not being able to see myself outside of uniform. Right. And certainly I've worn civilian clothes 
uh, on the weekends. I can wear a t-shirt and shorts like anybody else. Uh, and I certainly enjoy spending time in civilian clothes, not having shaved for a couple of days, right? Just relaxing with my family and, and doing whatever. But um, it became acute in 2020 when I had pushed the proverbial button, applied to separate, and uh, definitely after I got approval to separate, which happens pretty quickly, uh, the Air Force had said, yep, you're good to go. Your date is approved that you requested and you will be a civilian. You'll be out of the Air Force after this date. Um, and I was happy. Not for a minute do I regret the decision. It's time for me to move on. It's time for the Air Force and me to part ways and for me to do other things in support of my family and my professional goals. But what I didn't see coming was the fact that I couldn't see myself doing other things. Part of that's probably compounded by the fact that my initial plan walking out of the military was going to be to go to graduate school, right? So for those of you who know me, I had spent probably most, if not all of my military career, assuming I would go for a PhD, political science, public policy, that kind of thing, uh, after the Air Force experience ended, right? And of course, if I'm going to retire from the Air Force, that's going to be mid 40s to early 50s, perhaps. But I'm in my mid 30s now. And so the fact that I'm getting out now, all the better, I can go to grad school now, recover some some semblance of, of a career in academia, spend some time teaching, doing some research. I, I love teaching and training. And so that's where I thought I was going to end up. And um, really for most of my military career, that's what I thought. And then October, 2020 rolls around. I'm having a series of important, serious conversations with my wife. And I just realized this isn't the path that's right for me or for my family. Um, part of it's financial, certainly. Right. If you're a grad student, uh, and I can't speak for anywhere else, I'll speak for Ohio State where I was applying, right? Since I'm from Central Ohio and a Buckeye. At Ohio State, a graduate student's going to make anywhere between $24,000 and $32,000 a year. Uh, if you are selected for one of the more prestigious fellowships, you're, you're looking at maybe around thirty dollars to $32,000 a year. And, you know, on one level, I would be absolutely ecstatic for the opportunity and grateful to receive an award like that, a financial award like that, and to be in a position where I can even consider going to school full-time and making that my job, to read and write and debate in class. And, and for that to be a day-to-day -day lifestyle sounded amazing and is an amazing position, a privileged position to be in. But with two kids and a household to maintain and a livelihood, right? Like uh, millions of other people, it simply wasn't feasible. It wouldn't make any sense. So in October, 2020, I made the decision. My wife and I talked about it several times, Maggie and I did. And it was clear that graduate school was not the route. It was not the right way to go. And so I think really where this issue of defining myself became particularly, um, really came to the surface and became particularly acute was October, 2020. And following that, when I realized this, this image I had of myself as a graduate student, as a PhD student dissolved, 
by my own volition, by our own volition. I made the decision consciously. I knew it was the right decision. But that doesn't negate the feeling that comes afterward where, well, this is the only way I had defined the post-military self of mind. Now what? And I've been asking myself that question for several months, really all of the time since October, 2020. It is today is, it's March, 2021. I'm recording this on the 22nd. It'll be out on Thursday, the 25th, if I'm doing the math right. Now, March 25th, 2021, uh, I have an answer to the question professionally, what is my life going to look like after my time on active duty is officially over, I'm on my last leave period, and then I will separate and then I will launch into a new professional endeavor, uh, which I'll share probably here in the coming weeks. But, you know, that that period of several months was difficult. It was emotionally, mentally taxing. Uh, it was it was taxing on my family, on my wife, perhaps less so on my kids since they're so young. Um, and there's only so many people I can reach out to to have that kind of a conversation. And so I don't know that I did it justice in episode number one. This podcast really was an idea I've had for a long time. I'm an avid consumer of the medium. I love there's podcast episodes out there that I will jump on the next episode as soon as it comes out. I'm a subscriber to several, but there's really that choice few that I will absolutely jump on. So the medium, I'm, I'm all over. I love listening to different podcasts while I'm mowing the lawn, driving to work, driving home, whatever. Um, and I think audio is a much more comfortable medium for me, but the, the, genesis of this podcast on its own of this show is based in my fascination with the last question. And I'll talk here and there about what the last question means to me and what it really means as a title of this show. It absolutely means something. It means several things. There's several layers to it. Today, I asked Lucas two last questions. I cheated at my own game asking him what would he tell to that 17, 18 year old um, young man or woman looking to enlist in the Air Force, or maybe the 22, 23 year old fresh college graduate looking to commission. And then what would he tell 23, 24 year old Lucas, who was getting ready to go to OTS to officer training school as a young media professional, up and coming, rising star, you might say, who decided to leave it all behind and join the Air Force um, and to do something bigger than himself uh, and to join for reasons that he described as selfish. We all have unique reasons to come in, but 10 years on, he is doing very well. He's a leader in his own right, and he is a military professional and a military expert, and don't let him tell you otherwise. Today, it was about those two questions. Every episode is going to be about a different last question. I'm fascinated by the idea of the last question. How many more questions can you ask before you really get to the answer that matters? Uh, and this applies in all sorts of places. Joining the military is, a, is, a, is an important decision. It's a life-altering decision for people. And I think it's vitally important that if you, if you are someone or you know someone who's thinking about joining, it's important to answer the question that, that Lucas already mentioned, why? 
why are you joining? If you're joining to get school paid for, right? If you're joining because the circumstances you're coming from that you grew up in are far worse, right? The military is the best option to get you moving from your previous life. That's totally fair and valid. If the reason is because you're looking for a path to citizenship, right? That's, that's a possibility. As a resident of the United States, you can become a citizen through military service. That's another absolutely fair and valid reason. But after you answer the question, why? I, I submit to you a second question you should ask yourself. Once you get through the application process, once you get through the medical screening, you take the physicals, if you're taking the ASVAB or the AFOQT or whatever the equivalent is, once you get through all that and you find out you've made it into the service, into the branch, wherever you're headed, it is very easy, very quickly to become absolutely immersed, engrossed, beyond neck deep in what you're doing. Because the military does take a lot of time and effort. So the second question you should ask yourself as, as early as you can is who are you and who do you intend to be when you hang the uniform up for the last time? Lucas put it, I think, brilliantly during the interview. He said the uniform is on loan. In the United States, service in the military is a privileged position. Not everybody gets to do it. Uh, in fact, as a, as a former now ROTC instructor, I saw us disqualify uh, so many interested young men and women, young college students who dreamed of serving, uh, who dreamed of flying airplanes in the Air Force, for instance, but couldn't join for whatever, various reasons, either medical histories, current ailments, things that they're dealing with, struggling with mental health, physical health all those types of things. So it is, it is a position that not everybody can take, and it's a position that doesn't last forever. Whether you make the choice to leave or the service decides it's time for you to leave, the uniform is on loan. I think that's a brilliant way to think about it. And I've done this exercise with my seniors, the senior college students I worked with who are getting ready to enter active duty service. In the fall semester, I would take them through an exercise and I would ask them one question. If we kicked you out of the Air Force today, what would you go do? If we said you were medically disqualified, if we said we had run out of space, if we had said we cannot take you, whatever the question is, assume it's not, nothing you did wrong, but it's, but we cannot accept you into the active duty Air Force or the National Guard or the Reserve. We cannot accept you into the military. Assume you finished your college degree, what would you go do? And the answers are all over the map. It's, it's honestly, it can be a very tough, it can be an emotionally tough exercise, but in a way it's fun because you know, I'm quick to tell them, right? This is not me trying to tell you anything. There's no secret messages here. Everybody's still safe in the program. But what would you do? What would you go do? When I was in their seat in 2007, 2008, I had no answer to that. None. Yeah, I'd kind of thought about grad school. 
Um, and I was majoring in political science and aviation. So I, you know, I like being around airplanes and at the airport and I like reading history and all these random things, right? I had a couple of hobbies. I'm a distance runner. Okay. Not going to be an elite Boston marathoner. That's not on the table. Um, I had no answer. And so I tell my seniors, I told my seniors, you know, this doesn't have to be your final answer, but I would recommend, I would suggest you have an answer. If nothing else, it gives you something to work on, something, a skill to hone, something to foster and feed outside of your duty hours, outside the time you spend at work in the squadron with your airmen doing whatever it is that the Air Force has asked you to do. Because maintaining that self helps ground you, helps balance you. And when the time comes to leave, maybe that's still the thing that interests you and you, and you explore whether that becomes your full-time mission or you've evolved to something else. You've moved on to other things. You have kids and you're into coaching soccer baseball, softball, volleyball, whatever. Maybe you want to become a coach. Who knows? What's important is that you ask yourself that question. And I would absolutely say the question is more important than the answer. The question is absolutely more important than the answer. But you have to be willing to ask yourself that question. I think it is one of the most important questions a new military member can ask themselves to keep them grounded. Not because you're not going to invest 100% of yourself into the mission and into your fellow troops and into the airmen or Marines or soldiers or sailors looking at you, trusting you, relying on you. Of course, you're going to devote your energies and your time to them. But when the time comes to hang up the uniform on your last day, who are you the next day? I think that's one of the most important questions a military member can ask themselves. Perhaps it's the last question you ask yourself before you leave the military for the last time. I don't know. So uh, I am deeply grateful for each and every one of you who's listened to this episode. Uh, for those who know Lucas, you know he is a genuine, uh, a genuine person. Uh, he is a husband, as he said. Uh, he is father to one very uh, cute and loyal dog that they've got with them in Omaha. And beyond that, I think, uh, you know, if, if their goal is to grow a family, I absolutely um, am excited to see their family grow and to see what else he does in the Air Force. So uh, my thanks to Lucas for joining me for episode two. My thanks to you for listening to episode two, not just our first interview episode, but really one where I wanted to dig in deeper to this question uh, surrounding ourselves and our identity and our connection to our military service. That's going to be a big theme of this show. Uh, the last question is a podcast project by me, Arun Chatur. Uh, but it's also a project uh, that's part of the larger family of Enable Word projects. Um, we are leadership coaches. We help you make better decisions, build strong teams, and become the leader 
you want to be, whether you're in the military or not. Leadership is not unique to any industry. It's not unique to an age. It's not unique to an experience or a job description. It is, in fact, agnostic uh, about all of those. Leadership is a decision you make to serve others. If you're curious how better to do that, we've got resources on our website. We're rebuilding the website. We're going through a redesign right now, and we are launching two different coaching programs, a one-on-one -on -one and a group program, both on April 1st. Follow us on social media, LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram for information and for updates as we get closer and closer to April 1st. In the meantime, uh, I'm Arun. This is the last question. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, We'll be back next week, uh, I think, with another interview uh, for episode three. Until then, take care, stay safe, lead well.